since we were able to come up and visit you. Now it is one thing to be asked at short notice to do the speaking, but to be put on the spot to be the presenter, uh, especially as I have a reputation of singing in my boots, which is the old expression. So I'm sorry if it was a bit low, but that is just the way my voice goes. I want to read with you, please, in John's Gospel, John chapter 21, the Gospel of John and chapter 21. Starting at verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this manner showed himself. They were together, Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into the ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find They cast, therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fish's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Verse 15, please. So, when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. Verse 20. <clears throat> then Peter, turning about, saith the disciple whom Jesus loved, following who also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is he that betrayeth thee? Peter saith saith him, saith to Jesus, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. And God will add his blessing to the public reading of his word. I just found very simply tonight to think about discipleship and service in action. And I've got three headings for the readings that we've just read. I want us to think about following. I want us to think about fishing. And I want us to think about feeding, if time permits. I'm going to think about that disciple whom Jesus loved, as the scripture says. 
I want to stress straight away that the Saviour didn't love John more than the other disciples. The Lord loves us all equally and the same amount. I think the big difference probably is that John loved his master more so than other believers. And that, again, is a situation in which we all find ourselves that our love can vary. I want to think about following. You have to follow before you can be a fisher. And you have to follow before you can be a feeder. The disciples that he loved. There are five references in the scriptures to the beloved disciple. And I want you just to look at these five scenes of where the, the beloved disciple John is and see if you can learn the lessons towards following the master. In John chapter 13, <clears throat> in the upper room, we read there, all the disciples are there, and the Savior is there. And in John chapter 13 and verse 23, we read this, that the beloved disciple was leaning on Christ. You know, it takes effort to stand. It takes more effort to walk. And when you're like me and getting older, it takes even more effort to run. But it doesn't take any effort at all just to lean on somebody. And John was just resting his all on his master. He was drawing from Christ all the support, all the comfort, and all the endearment that he needed. He was learning all about Christ's ways. He was learning all about Christ's precepts. And he was learning more and more about Christ because he was just leaning on his master. It's an interesting scene there in John chapter 13. All the disciples had come into that room with the Lord Jesus Christ they were all sat around the room, and I guess they were all looking at one another. Who, I wonder, is going to wash the feet? That's the job of the lowest. That's the job of the slave. And looking around, well, I'm better than those two. I'm might be a par on those three. Well, I'm certainly not as good as Peter, James, and John, but I'm not going to wash the feet. And then Christ rises. He lays aside his garments. He takes the towel. He washes the disciples' feet. And he takes the place of loneliness and of humility and of the lowest stance. And you know, the scriptures say to us, let this mind be in you, 
which is also in Christ Jesus. And we will learn to be like Christ by leaning on Christ. You know, gathered around the table in that room that day, there was Judas, the traitor. There was Peter. We call him the denier. We love to persecute Peter, but, you know, that's... There was Thomas. Doubting Thomas, we call him. There was James and John, the two ambitious ones. Lord, grant that I can sit on your right hand and he can sit on your left hand. There was Nathaniel, the skeptic. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Beloved, can I say this gently? We're all there. We're all like that. And the only way that we're going to go forward and become true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ is by leaning on him, our nearness to him, and drawing all our resources from him. Chapter 13 of John verse 6 tells us, the servant is not greater than his master. So by leaning upon Christ, it teaches us true humility, it teaches us true obedience, it teaches us true subjection to the one we call our Lord and our Master. Leaning upon Christ is an indication of our true affection for one who loved us and gave himself for us and it draws us closer to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thereafter, the Holy Spirit can take of the things of Christ and reveal him to us. So the first lesson in following is this, that we've got to lean on Christ. The second mention of the beloved disciple is in John 19, 26. This time he's not leaning. This time he's standing. He stands at the foot of the cross. He made his identification with Christ clear and plain. He didn't, as the scriptures say, hide his light under a bushel. He was not ashamed to own his Lord. And he was the only disciple to be standing at the foot of the cross. You know, beloved, there will come a point in time in your life when you will have to take a stand for Christ. You may in life have to stand alone for Christ. Standing for Christ can perhaps cause you to go down a very difficult pathway. Standing for Christ can cause you to tread a very lonely path. 
standing for Christ could cost you a great deal. I know. In my career, I made a stand for Christ because the managing director was wanting us to do things which were quite illegal. And 18 months later, he found good reasons to make me redundant. To stand for Christ, it carries a cost. But you will never be anything for Christ unless you make a stand for Christ. The question is, how do we stand? Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, doesn't he, when he's talking about the whole armor of God. He says, stand girded about with truth. Stand girded about with truth. We need to live a consecrated life. We've been saved. We've been called out of the world. Oh, I know we're in the world. But to make a stand for Christ, you need to leave a consecrated life set aside for him. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, he says, and having done all to stand, you've got to be consistent in your stand. You can't be varying from here to there, from there to here. You must be consistent in your stand. And then he says, stand against the wiles of the devil. Commitment to Christ. So to follow means to lean. To follow means to stand. But in John chapter 20 verse 5 you read about the, the beloved disciple and this time he's stooping. He has outrun Peter and he's come to the grave and he stoops down the burial place. He bows down and he looks in and he expresses reverence in the presence of his master. And you know, when I was a young man, <clears throat> more times years ago than I care to remember, we were always taught, if you're going to do anything for Christ, the way of the pathway is you go down first before you go up. In the master's service, we go down in order that we might learn, in order that we might be taught, in order that we might gain knowledge of him. And it's nothing of self in our labors for Christ. There's nothing about me to be displayed what I'm doing for Christ. There's no place for self-glory, pride, or anything else. We stoop, and John saw, and he believed. Ah, says the scriptures, we should see no man, save Jesus only. Looking off unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. But here in John chapter 21 and verse 7, 
Therefore did that disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. He's not stooping now. He's recognizing. It is the Lord. How important it is to recognize the Lord. How important it is to acknowledge his ways. How important it is to be taken up with the delights of his word. It is the Lord. You know, in, in our English language, how you emphasize words changes the meaning completely. John saw, and he cried out with, with joy, It is the Lord! He recognized Christ on the shore, and he was pleased to see him. He could have said quietly, It is the Lord, expressing affection for the one that he was gazing upon on the seashore. His heart desire was fulfilled. It could be a cry of, ex of exaltation. It is the Lord. He was thrilled to see him. It could be a cry of reverence. God is here. And that will bless us. And when we gather. And it was mentioned in prayer where two or three are gathered together. There am I in the midst. It is the Lord. Do we see him? What with eyes defiled and dim, I see the signs, but see not him. We need spiritual discernment if we're going to be followers of Christ. It's possible to lose sight of the fact, beloved, that it is all of him. And it's nothing of us. But sometimes we get clouded, don't we? And we begin to think, it's all of me. And he's placed to one side. To follow Christ, that means in every aspect of our life, we have recognized that the choice of the pathway for you and for me is his. It may well not be the pathway that we would choose but is the pathway that he wants us to go down. And then we come to 21 verse 20. Peter, seeing John, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? You see, the Lord had said to Peter, follow me. John didn't receive such a commandment. Christ didn't request John to follow him. Just out of a heart that was bubbling over with love and affection, John just chose to follow Christ. To John, it was just the natural thing to do. The scripture says, No man can serve two masters, for he will love one. And hate the other. And John with a heart bubbling over with affection. 
was just following Christ. You think of Paul as he writes, Timothy, I think, he says these words, Demas hath forsaken me. He didn't say, Demas has stopped coming to the meeting. He didn't say, Demas was no longer taking part. He didn't say, Demas had gone off to another place of worship. He says, Demas hath forsaken me. Because a greater love had crept into Demas's heart. And Christ had been moved into second place. And if we're going to be followers of Christ, says the scriptures, we need to be not hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Followers, where he may lead me, I will go. Would you go along a pathway like his? Suffering, solitude, sorrow, sacrifice. Ah, says the hymn writer, it is the way the master went. Should not the servant tread it still? So Christ wants us to be followers. But then Christ wants us to be fishers. And in fishing, here in the chapter, I've got three headings. I want to think about the people. And I think I want to think about the place. And I want to think about the power. I want to think about the people. Well, it was a strange crew that went fishing that night. They were certainly a very mixed bunch. Peter, James and John, we know were fishermen. But the others... Thomas, Nathaniel, maybe they weren't fishermen. Peter, noted for his impetuous nature, said, oh, I'm going fishing. And up he goes, do his fishing. Thomas, well, we remember Thomas, don't we? We all call him Doubting Thomas. I want to tell you this, Thomas was a very courageous man. It was way back in John chapter 11, when news came that Lazarus was dead, the Saviour said, we're going back. And all the disciples threw their hands up in horror and said, oh, you can't go back there, the Jews were there, we're going to kill you. And Thomas said, let us also go with him, that we may perish with him. Nathaniel, well, I've already said, Nathaniel has, was a prejudiced man. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? James and John in the boat, the sons of thunder, is what they were called in scriptures. Pride and position and ambition characterized where they wanted to be. And so off they go, these five, and two others unnamed. Well, I'll tell you who the other two were. One was me, and the other one was you.
What a strange, motley crew in that boat. Fellows in a ship. Fellowship, beloved. What they were doing, they were all pulling together. They were all going in the same direction. They were all had one goal in mind. And that's what we should have. All fellows in a ship together, put aside our various idiosyncrasies and mannerisms and peculiarities. We're fellows in a ship. And we're trying to do things for God and to bring glory and honor unto him. And says the scriptures, how good and pleasant when brethren dwell together in unity. And the only way assemblies will prosper if there's unity in the fellows in the ship. What about the place? It was in Galatee. That was their home territory. It's where they were known. It's where they lived. It's where they worked. And it's where they witnessed. Galilee was the place of the first miracle, wasn't it? Water turned into wine. Mary said to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto thee, do it. Beloved, Whatsoever he says unto thee, do it. Whensoever he says unto thee, do it. Wheresoever he says unto thee, do it. Christ spoke and obedience followed. What was the result? Oh, a bountiful supply of wine. Oh, said the governor of the feast, you kept the best to last. You should have had it first. The gospel, you know, beloved, still produces results like that. The gospel still brings men and women to Christ. What about the power? You notice they set off fishing on their own initiative. Instead of waiting on Christ... And seeking for his guidance. Restlessness sets in. And they become engaged in self-motivated service. And I'm certainly guilty of that. And what was the outcome? Nothing for Christ. Self-will dominated. The energy of the flesh prevailed. No prayer. No waiting for God for guidance. Not walking as children of light. They operated all night in the dark. Result, barrenness. And Christ says, without me, ye can do nothing. Without me, you can achieve nothing. Without me, you can reap nothing. We don't choose the time or the place to serve Christ. Nor can we engage in a service before we are sent. And in verse 5 of the chapter, 
the disciples are made aware of their own emptiness. Have you got any fish? No. Why? Verse 4 says, they knew not. They were not expecting Christ. They were not looking for Christ. They were engaged in their own activity. I want to say this kindly, and I hope I'm not misunderstood. Great activity in any assembly is not necessarily a sign of spirituality. But no activity in an assembly is certainly a sign of a lack of spiritual interest. But in verse 6 we see Christ's directed service. Cast your net. Saves his cast your net. Seek it, he shall find. On the right hand, on the right side. Divine guidance. He knew where the fish were to be found. It was all led by divine power. Nothing of man is involved here. There's no reliance on eloquence or organization or entertainment or music or whatever else. It's divine power that makes it happen. And when divine power makes it happen, divine blessings follows. And they were not able to draw the multitude of fish. Before Christ was involved, no fish. Christ is involved, a great catch. The scriptures say, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, there are two fishing trips, if you like, recorded for us in the scriptures, the one we have read here, and the other in Luke chapter 5. And there are marked similarities between the two. On each fishing trip, the disciples fished all night. On each occasion, they caught nothing. Then in the morning, Christ arrives on the shore and directs the operation. On the first occasion, there were so many fish that the net broke and they couldn't get them all to the shore. On the second occasion, the net doesn't break and they bring 153 great fish to the shore. Now, I'm going to give my explanation of that. And I'll tell you quite honestly, Brother Phil Coulson doesn't agree with me, but there we go. He and I don't agree on many things. <laughs> On the first occasion, the great catch of fish, the net broke, and some got away, and some were pulled to the shore. I see that as the work of the evangelist. The gospel preacher goes out, he throws out his net. There's a catch. Some are saved. Some choose not to be saved. The second occasion, 153. I see that as the work of the pastor. He's bringing the fish to the shore. He's going to teach them. He's going to coach them. He's going to lead them. Fishing. Feeding. Well, I'm sorry. 
I really haven't got time. It's already 25 to 9 to give you my thoughts on feeding. But feeding is all about our responsibility that God would place upon us. You see, we have here in John chapter 21, the chief shepherd, and he's appointing Peter to be an under-shepherd, to feed my sheep and to feed my lambs. It's a great task caring for God's people. And all appointments today to that of eldership is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit of God. But it is the assembly's responsibility to recognize and acknowledge those people that God has placed into that position of responsibility. If 